Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Spring 2022 podcast and webinar series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. The following podcast is a live recording of Rachel English, Carmack O'Keefe and Margaret Ward discussing the challenges and opportunities for journalists in writing fiction. The discussion was recorded live at the Spring 2022 Freelance Forum on 11th of April 2022 at Grange Gorman Technological University, Dublin. We hope you enjoy it. There was a gag I saw a while back on Twitter, actually, which was, uh, if I just had some time to myself where I didn't have any distractions, I'd be able to write my book. And then COVID comes along and it, no, that wasn't it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's behind this uh, session. Um, There's a cliche that there's a book in everyone. which may or may not be true, but I think if you start off as a journalist or as a writer, you have most of the necessary skills anyway for the writing part. So I'm going to turn over to Margaret and uh, Cormac Keith and Rachel English, who you both know, uh, you all know, and um, I'll go from there and Margaret. Thank you, George. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Margaret Ward. I'm delighted to be uh, chairing this session with Rachel and Cormac. Um, and I, I found Forex session really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I thought there was two things that, that, that sort of relevant to the session we're having now. Uh, one is he said he's, he's a bit wary of bookshops, which we definitely <laughs> do not want you to be. <laughs> we want you to patronise bookshops and buy all <coughs> these books. And the other thing was that, that his own book, his collection of poetry came about because he bumped into Thrace who gave him some good advice. And I think that's what we're going to try and do here today. Um, so our intention is not that we'll have sort of speeches. I'm going to chat with Cormac and Rachel for a while about their motivations, about their writing routines, about the practicalities of getting published, but we do want to give plenty of time for you to ask your questions because this is a chance to talk to people who have gone and done it and you may have particular things you want to know. So we want to allow plenty of time for that and we, and we certainly will. Um, so I suppose I noticed when I, uh, that one of the characters, I was looking back at one of Rachel's books and, and one of the characters, she, she has a journalist in, in at least one of her books anyway, and uh, the, the protagonist in person admits that she was, she was particularly nosy and, and that that's the reason she wants to be a journalist. Um, but I think the other reason that a lot of us become journalists is because we do love words, we love books, we like writing and we like reading. Um, and I suppose I'll start with asking Rachel, you were a reader before you became a writer. And, and when you were that reader in your teens, did you ever think that you would publish a book? No, I, I don't think that I did because I don't think that, I think like many people growing up, unless you come from a background where writing is particularly strong, it's not something that you view as being possible. Mm. It seems a bit out there. I mean, I suppose I was from a time as well where even, you know, going to the career guidance teacher and saying that you wanted to be a journalist seemed a bit flash. <laughs> you know, that you were supposed to say something, you know, more in keeping with the short list of courses she had written down. So, no, I, I didn't really. I would 
have loved the idea of writing. I did write a lot, even though I w wouldn't have shown what I wrote to most people, but no, I didn't, apart maybe from a brief time in my early 20s. And then I sort of dismissed it as, as just an impossibility, really, that it's not something that most people can do because it takes up an awful lot of time. And for most people, you know, there, there will never be a lot of money in it. And, uh, and also because I was lucky enough to find a job that I really enjoyed and took up an awful lot of my time. So no, I didn't. And it wasn't until, oh gosh, about 12, 11, 12 years ago that I decided, listen, if I don't give this a go now. I, I never will. It will just pass me by. So, um, but but there, is an awful, there is an awful lot of chance involved. I mean, obviously, on the one hand, there's a lot of perseverance involved because you really do have to sit down and get on with it. But there's a lot of chance involved in, in writing as well. And so, no, I didn't, when I was a teenager, think that, that it was something I would do. So your first book drew, did that draw very much on your own experience? Like you went to you went on a J, you went to Boston yourself. Yeah, with the first book going back, yes, I think most people's mm. first book draws an awful lot on things that they know about. I mean, the old cliche about write what you know, and I, I don't think that it, that is actually the best advice. I think you should write what you're interested in, mm. and um, and and you know you, you will always <coughs> be able to gather information. But I think most people for their first book, there's a huge element of write what you know. You don't. It's hard enough to begin with learning the structures of a book, learning about characterization, learning all the small things, you know, the million small things that go into a book. That 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 is difficult to know without sort of embarking on you know I really admire people who can you know write dystopian fiction or science fiction or whatever I could never in a million or years historical fiction. Yeah, I could never yeah. in a million years have done that when I was starting so um, yeah so it was very much a case of, of, of writing what I could see in my head yeah Cormac you you also have written from experiences that you yeah you, areas that you worked mm. in and um, your novel is very much set in an area that you know, with the sort of stories that you mm. covered as a journalist. Well, a lot of crime journalists would write uh, non-fiction. Mm. You know, they're, they're yeah. more, there's, there's a whole history of our colleagues doing yeah. that. What, what made you decide that, that the medium you wanted to choose was fiction rather than, rather than that more traditional? Yeah, region? I mean, I had, I suppose, kind of ideas and indeed I had a discussion with a publisher uh, in the past about writing a non-fiction book. Uh, at least once, if not actually twice. Um, I even knew then that writing any kind of book was going to be so, so much work, I wasn't really keen on it because I find the day job just so all-consuming. The finding time to write a book is just... And if you kid, throw kids in on top of it, it's just you know an impossibility, really. Um, when it came to Black Border and I brought in a prop, which is my book, <laughs> I managed to find a copy of it. Um, because you can't get it in shops anymore. Um, when it came to the idea for this, um, I knew that, that journalism just couldn't capture what I wanted to write about. I mean, journalism, journalism is is fantastic. I mean, it, it's great at, at covering ideas and topics and individuals. Um, but I suppose what I wanted to do was um, do a lot more than what journalism can do. I mean, journalism, unfortunately, is also very restrictive in what it can do. Whereas when you write a novel, you can write about characters, you can write about relationships, you can do a lot more colour, um, and it's a lot more personal. 
So in my journalism, I really don't tend to put much of my personal views into it, even though it obviously <laughs> influences it a lot. But with, with a novel, with this idea that I had, I just knew that a novel would, would be far, a far better way of doing it. Unfortunately, I didn't know how to write a novel when I started. And as Rachel would know, I had to unlearn basically mm -hmm. how to write as a journalist and write as a novelist, which are really different. Um, and that was an experience. But it's just, it's just it comes with time and practice. And you do, like, definitely you need to, you need to unwind your, your brain uh, as a journalist in order to write as a novelist. That's my view anyway. Maybe it's because of the type of journalism I do. Even though the issues I cover in the in the novel are very much the issues I write about and have been writing about for a long, long time, um, like writing writing a novel based on characters and dialogue. Um, actually, I had no problem with dialogue. Funnily enough, some writers do struggle with dialogue. I've I've actually a lot of dialogue in my novel, but um, and I'd so I'd so many ideas. Um, you know, like every like everyone here, there is. There's so much ammunition in your daily life mm. that can go into a novel. You mightn't realise it, but there is, and I, probably like you, I carried around multiple notebooks with me all the time. So if I heard, you know, dialogue on the, the red line of Deleuze, and there's a book in the red line of Deleuze, <laughs> if anyone is interested in yeah. writing about it, there's, there's a series of it. Um, indeed, I, I, I have a Lewis red line scene, at least one in my novel. Um, or if you're on the bus or, you know, anywhere. You'll hear dialogue, you'll hear colour. The characters you see on the street, I mean, my God. I mean, there's loads of ammunition there. You just need to funnel it into an idea. But... Um, yeah, I think you know. I, it's funny you should say that. I think being a journalist is a great foundation for mm. writing fiction, even though it's completely different. Being a journalist, it means you're often there on the worst day of people's lives and you're sometimes there on the best day of people's mm. lives and you get to see all sorts of life and also yeah. picking up on what Cormac was saying and it goes back to what Cormac was saying as well that being although you would imagine that spending you know two years locked up was a good time for people to write it was actually an awful time mm. for most people to write because there is there was the, the lack of stimulation. Yeah. You have to be out and about. You have to hear what people are saying. Just a walk through the city centre, and you like <coughs> you know you're saying about about carrying a notebook around with you. Like you'll pick up five different things, mm. be it bits of dialogue. You'll overhear something and go, God, that's that's a class line. I have to use that. <laughs> yeah. Or you'll notice something and you think gosh, I hadn't quite looked at that in that way before, mm. yeah, or just little bits and pieces that come to you all the time and we had the best part of two years without any stimulation yeah. like mm. that and I think for most people, I certainly found that it wasn't as though the ideas entirely dried up but I certainly found the, the I really missed the random stuff mm. that, and even being, being in a newsroom you'll overhear something or somebody will say something about one of their kids or whatever and you think that's brilliant yeah. <laughs> to use it. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, yeah, I think we really missed that for two years mm. and it does tie in with what Porik was saying I think about journalism that just 
you know, being locked away like that is not good on so many levels. And, um, and one of them is, is just, even though I know for most people who work in journalism, it was the practicality that, you know, it was hard to find work if you mm. were a freelance. But, but for, for writing fiction as well, like it was just, you know, if you're just stuck in a room, and if, if your whole working life is that room yeah. as well, it, it um, you know, gosh, like I missed being out and about. Mm. Yeah. You both have very strong characters in your novel, and I'm, novels, and I'm just wondering, uh, Cormac, did you, st- when you started working on Blackwater, I mean, did you start with the character of Jig? Was that based on, on maybe yeah. multiple kids you had come multiple across? Multiple kids, yeah. I mean, there was a, a number of kids where I lived, and, you know, I just could not get over what their life was. You know, they're they're out all day. Like in so, like the one of the boys it's actually based on. I mean, it's the stereotypical dysfunctional family he came from, and they were a neighbour of ours. So I had no shortage of of material, um, and you know he. I don't know where he is now, but a lot of his brothers are in organised crime. Some are in jail. You know, God, like the type of family set up is just trauma after trauma after trauma. So, like, I was trying to write a complicated novel, and trying to write complicated things in a novel is probably not what you're supposed to do, because they they'll tell you from the beginning. This is not about your ideology in writing a novel. It's about characters. It's about um, the story. If you want to write a thesis, well, then write a non-fiction story. But anyway, um, I wanted to write about this boy who was being groomed into a gang. But I had a difficult task in making the reader be sympathetic towards the boy because he's... He's the type of boy, if you had living beside you, you, you would love to wring his neck, you know? So how do you, how do you get the reader to be sympathetic to a boy like that? You do because they are being groomed by adults mm. into criminality, and there's a character that he, he looks up to. He doesn't have a proper... Well, his own dad is abusive, to, physically abusive to him, um, as is his mother. But uh, the criminal offers him um, status fun, uh, money, um, all the things which all the research on this area (coughs) reveals as well. That's why uh, young boys in certain areas get caught up in um, gangs. And once you're in, you can't get out. That's Mm -hmm. the way it is. So I I had a huge job in my hand to make him sympathetic. So I had a lot of relationships. He's a relationship with his granddad, which is quite tender. He is a dog. So that was another way. He has a fascination about swans. Swan makes it onto the cover of the novel because it's based along the canal. Um, you know, so that was, yeah, I had, the, my starting point wa- were just characters. So I had the boy and I had an undercover guard who lives in the area. Um, so I started with characters. I did not have a plot. It was a complete nightmare writing it <laughs> because all I had were, I was following individual characters, but the plot was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So at one stage I had to weave the different characters into the same plots. And that was a huge job. So when I had started on my second novel, which hasn't happened, but when I had started on my second novel, I set myself the task to write an outline, 
which I'd never done the first time around, which is highly advisable for anyone who wants to do it because people say, oh, it's great to write organically and, you know, blah, 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 but it's a complete nightmare because <laughs> to make you... I mean, I spent eight years at it. I mean, I started in 2010 and it got published in 2018. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge It's a long haul, work. you know. Rachel, can you give us an idea of... Because you've written a few novels now at this stage. I think you're up to six. Six. How yeah, did... Uh, how do you... What's now your process in terms of, if you're suggesting to somebody who's thinking about it, in terms of what Cormac mentioned there, in terms of an outline, in terms of, you know, having portraits of your characters, what's your system? Can you give us an idea of what your system is? I should start by saying that I'm very impatient. So once I have an idea at all, I want to write it. I don't, I'm not one of these people who wants to spend six Mm. months doing the research first. So I would do some of that as I go along. However, I think there are, a couple of basics that that you know are very helpful like Cormac says you really do need an outline you don't need every twist and turn I'm always taken aback by people who manage to plot out in detail 35 chapters before Mm. they start writing I could never in a million years do that but I think if you have for me the characters come first and the very basic idea of the very basic kind of what if you know, so say with the book that's out at the moment, The Letter Home, it starts with, you know, what if there were these two women, one in Ireland, one on the other side of the Atlantic in America, who were both researching the same historical figure. So that was where it started. And I had those three characters, the two in the present day and the one in the past, in the 1840s. And from there, you start to build a structure around them. And I mean, the the start is important, but sometimes I think we all get hung hung up on how a book starts. And, you know, you can change that, that that's uh, but, you know, there's a great the the best maxim that I ever heard. And I always say it to people for how to write scenes. And when it comes down to it, any novel is just a collection of scenes is start late and leave early, as in join the action when it's in full flow and leave before it's over. And every scene, ideally, should start late and leave early. And a book, as I said, is just a collection of scenes. So if you have a rough idea of it's going to start here, it might end there, but I won't commit entirely to the ending. And these are points I'd like to hit along the way. And also then any particular ideas you have for characters say I've just started writing a book and one of the scenes at the start was so clear to me that before I did anything else I've written that scene and I find that I can hang a few things around that it's it's it takes place in the summer of 1981 it's an 18 year old young woman she's working in a supermarket and she gets a phone call to go to the office and um, it's a friend of hers pretending that um, the girl who's working in the supermarket, Birdie, pretending that Birdie's aunt is dead. She's pretending to be Birdie's mother and she's getting her out of the job for the day. And they're in a band and they're off to, they've got a surprise gig that night and that's how it starts. And to me, that felt so overwhelming because I was picturing um, Quinsworth as it was then in Shannon, where I grew up <laughs> when I was writing this. And I think if I thought if I don't write this now, I'm just I'm just going to lose it. So I've nothing Ooh. else written, and this book this isn't the first scene in the book either. But uh, but I just had to write it. So I suppose you always have to you know leave scope for for doing things out of sequence. But a basic structure Ooh. and a basic idea of who your characters are what they look like, what they want, their main personality traits. And another thing that somebody said to me once, which I do find really helpful, is that you need to take your characters for a walk, as in you need them to be part of your life. So say your character 
was sitting here in this room now? What would he or she be doing? Would they have a coffee? Would they be fiddling with their phone? Would they be looking out mm. the window? Would they be taking notes? What sort of person are they? And so that by if you do that enough, they do become real to you. And mad as it sounds, like you'd, you would expect to see them walking down the street. Like you wouldn't be, especially when you're in the middle of a book and they're so real to you. You spend so much time with them that, you know, you kind of feel, oh, sure, if I met them going into work, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true and that is bad but there is an element that I suppose that's the main difference between journalism and writing fiction is there has to be this element of madness about oh. it that you could never get away with well I suppose no, we all work with no. mad people as well but you know what I mean There's a, you can indulge your madness in mm. a way that, um, and you can say things that you would never say in real life because yeah. you can put them into the mouths of your characters even things that you would really really like to say and you think here's my opportunity mm. <laughs> Cormac, you you said that you know the process of doing the first book was a very organic thing, and you didn't have all the outlines, and you know it was sort of you had your character, you yeah. had your character very strongly. Um, but obviously, as time moved on, you you must have moved into a writing routine of sorts once you you started to get a handle on the book, and now you're looking at another yeah. book. What, what works in terms of a routine for someone who's as busy as you are in your day job, as you yeah, mentioned? I, I'm, it is I'm really not a time. good um, model for people to, to, <laughs> to write. <laughs> um, because I, like, I really, you know, you go to all these talks and, and people say, oh, you have to write every day and you have to do this. And, you, and it used to really piss me off. Cause yeah. I, said, I mean, who has a life where they can just get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and have two hours to write I mean nobody you yeah. don't have to have kids not to have that life but I mean nobody has that life so I, that used to always really annoy me but you still have to you still have to do the shovel work so it was a combination of getting up really early because I've uh, I have twins and the twins were three four five six seven eight ages when I was doing this so I mean there wasn't a huge amount of time so up early, I used to get a, a lot done when I used to take days off or a weekend off and I used to go down to my mother's house in Waterford and she has a thing called the dining room, which most people probably people don't have. It's a separate room, It's nobody goes in there. Uh, we used to use it as growing up and no one uses it after that. So I used to go down there, bring my stuff down for anywhere between two and four days and write a shitload. That's what I used to do. And and I would you write for seven or eight hours? Like, would you Quite, oh, yeah, I mean, we like, like doing a day shift, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can mix that up. I mean, I mean, if you can get away from work and if you can get your mind into a different place and if you can go somewhere, it would be ideal. And, I mean, you know, you don't have to work all day. You can, you can go out for a walk in the park. Yeah, you can yeah. go for a trip with your mother or whatever the case may be. And I used to do that. Um... But that was the way I got the biggest bulk of the writing done, was taking those weekends off. Um, otherwise, it was at home, which was very difficult. I mean, it does create a lot of strain domestically mm -hmm. uh, when <laughs> you have to write or you're, you're, you're frantically looking for your notebook to write something down or you're, you're like your head is in one place and your family life is in another place. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I really don't have, I'm reluctant to give advice to, to people. Some people like working at late at night, yeah. um, but if you work a long day, it's, I, I find it very hard to be able to work then late at night. I don't know how people night, yeah. do that, but yeah. some people do. 
uh, I think early morning is probably the best option, or take take weekends yeah. off, take days off. How if do you, you can. do it, Rachel? You you've obviously gone part time in your yeah, job since no. you've, and that was obviously facilitated by, yeah, having success with with the novel. See, I, I I you know I'd have to like concede that that I'm very fortunate in that I do a job on Morning Ireland where it's possible to work part time. Um, so I didn't, I think for the first three books I worked full time mm. and I, I found that I found I was just wiped out from it. And more than that, I found that I found it was just getting increasingly kind of fractious with the whole thing. You know, when I was doing one thing, I wanted mm. to be doing another. And principally, actually, that was when I was when I was working like the day job, the paying job. I found that I just wanted to be writing. So I gradually worked towards I kind of did it for a short time. First of all, I asked if I could work part time and then. We just kept on renewing it until it became a permanent arrangement. But so I would write now. I don't tend to write when on the days I'm doing Morning Ireland because I just find it too difficult to go from one thing mm. to the other. And I find yeah. I might have a few ideas that I'd scratch down or whatever, but I find that my head's not in the right place. And also, you know, something like morning Ireland it's so it is kind of all encompassing like you're either up for it or you're not you kind, mm. kind of can't half do it you can't go in and say sure I'll keep it handy today because like that <laughs> would be the day that the sky falls in you know so there, there's you're either up for it or you're not so I would find that on the days I'm not doing morning Ireland I do write most days I probably don't write more than about four hours a day maybe maybe five you know at the most but a couple of hours in the morning a couple of hours in the afternoon but I would I would kind of fiddle away a lot like I, I would I would edit on my phone um I would you know any idea I, I would scribble it down so I would be doing bits and pieces but in terms of like hardcore just sitting down doing that and nothing else and you know not getting distracted by all the nonsense mm. that's out there I, I wouldn't do more than about four hours a day right. I mean, the great plus of being a journalist is you are able to sit down on a chair and yeah. you are able to write or type. I mean, I mainly typed. Some people just write. That's the huge plus we have as journalists mm. because there's a lot of people out there who, you know, the terror of the blank page, I think I might have mm. mentioned to you. Yeah. Whereas the journalists, you don't have that terror mm. because you're so used to, I will fill this page anyway. It's, you know, I know I can do it. So the great, the, the plus that we have as journalists is that we can sit down and do the work and do the shovel work, which a lot of writers might find difficult. Mm. And know. also deadlines. We're so deadlines, accustomed yeah. to deadlines. Like, 7 in the morning is 7 in the morning. Cormac's deadline in the evening mm. for the examiner yeah. is your deadline. You can't be arsing around with it. Like, you have to get stuck into it and do it. And I think for an awful lot of people who don't have that background, find it more difficult. Mm. Like, I, you know, hear of people and, uh, you know, they're letting stuff drift or whatever. And I kind of think, sometimes you, like, you just have to finish the damn thing. Mm. And, you know, even if it's, well, sure, nothing is ever ideal the first time around. As the old saying goes, there's no such thing as writing, there's only rewriting. Like, mm. everything is rewritten. And at least when you're <coughs> doing a novel, you have that opportunity, rather than if you're doing an interview yeah. or writing, you know, uh, writing up a story for the morning's paper. Like, you don't have that. You have to lash it down and hope for the best. So there is, um, yeah, we do, like, a background in journalism does teach you an awful lot in relation mm. to just getting on with it. Getting on with it. So speaking of getting on with it, when you are getting on with it, both of you, when you're getting on with a novel, you have to have the novel 
finished before you can go to somebody to pitch it. I mean, uh, with non-fiction, at least some, in quite a lot of cases, people can have a few sample chapters or an outline, whatever. So you had to have the whole thing done before you went to pitch it. At f what, ex maybe give us an idea of that process when you, when you went, you know, hawking your novel yeah. and trying to get people interested in it, Maybe give us a sense of that experience, Cormac. Well, I, I, would, I would definitely advise don't send it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I mean, because I went over my... I mean, I had 20-plus drafts of my novel easily. So, and there is a stage that you reach and go, oh, that's great, it's done. It's actually quite good. But it's not. Believe me, it's not. It's not. And that's not a criticism. It's just the nature of the beast. So I would advise... If you can, or if you know anyone who works in the business, either they're writers themselves, or they're an agent, or they're a publicist, or something like that that can read it. Because I had a friend who I just got to know through football, and he is a publicist, and he offered to read it, and he said, yeah, it's great. But he came back with, he said, your novel needs to go like that, you know, it needs to, ha it needs to be going to a... a, a uh, a crescendo or you know uh, and he gave a lot of advice and uh, and my novel I think initially was something mad like 140,000 words or something crazy and it was way too long if I remember rightly it was way too long anyway so yeah no I would definitely seek people um, different people people who can give you professional advice people maybe who are readers um, that you know that will give uh, accurate criticism of your novel, not like your mother, maybe, you know, <laughs> or your mother could be cruel. I don't know. I mean, but I, I would go. I would maybe go with readers who you 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 respect their opinion that they're going to go listen. That character just does not work, and particularly if you're a man and you have a female character, and I have a female character in mine, I would definitely recommend having um, female friends to to read. And, and probably same applies for, to a woman who's writing about a male character. I I would imagine. Uh, but particularly for men, it's probably advisable. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd have another group down who would read it. Um, and then, you know, you do have to let it go at some stage, unfortunately. And I had many stages of letting it go. So, you know, I, I went through the Artists and Writers Yearbook, which is, is definitely advisable to get or to, to look at for in the library, which you can do. And I went through the process of sending it off to agents in London, which is what we're all recommended to do. And bizarrely, the first person I sent it to came back with a glowing response. Because I, I was getting, everyone was telling me, oh, this is going to take you ages. And, but of course, the glowing response turned into silence then afterwards. And, oh. uh, yeah, it's, you know, and, so, and then you get into the reality of it. So you send off a batch of 10. You send off another batch of 10 a few months later and another batch of 10 a few months later. So... I was not getting an agent at that stage, and then I was looking domestically, and that wasn't happening either. And it was only eventually I went through a scout, Vanessa O'Loughlin, who's also an author called Sam Blake. Uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a scout. I think Sinead Gleason also works as a scout. But anyway, so she she looked at it, she made some recommendations. We did send it off to an agent, and Jerry Nickel, who took it on. And then she went through the process of sending it off to publishers, which is the next long, painful stage you have to go through because, again, there was two or three big publishers in London who were very interested. Or, or then they might come back, oh, we already have an Irish author. Yeah. 
and you're kind of going, okay, well, you take on one Irish author a year, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, sorry, it reminds you of when I first started yeah. working journalism and there was a job going in the Clare Champion and there were two people up for it, a man and a woman, and the guy who owned the paper said, but should we already have a woman in the newsroom? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That's not nice. Yeah. Actually, the, to be fair, the woman actually got the job, yeah. but, yeah. Um, but there is an element of that, all right. Oh, we yeah. already have one of those. I'm not yeah. sure that we need yeah. another or one. We are, yeah, we already, had, we already have an Irish author, or we already have that kind of gritty crime novel, so we don't want another one. And so that all came to naught, but it took a not long time. But eventually, through Anna Lachlan, who's another journalist who got published with a Scottish author, I contact like after all this process, I contacted this, this crowd directly, right. and they said, "Yeah, send it on." So the agent then sent it on, blah blah blah, and they published it. But Jesus, it is it it, it is. is I mean, I don't want to put people off, but it is a long, torturous process. But it like it's the best thing to do as well. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. nothing like seeing like <laughs> like a book. Yeah. with her name on it I yeah. mean it's surreal even still looking at it it's surreal you know yeah I mean the thing is I always say to people like writing is brilliant it's just publishing that yeah. wrecks your head <laughs> and you do have to like there, there is probably n in very few other fields perhaps acting is one of them will you get as many like mm. knockbacks and kicks as you get in publishing <coughs> there are people who are almost interested in something and then not quite yeah. or the people who say oh it's not right for us just at the moment or, you know, there's a promise of this, that and the other, and then it doesn't mm. materialise. Or, you know, the other thing is there tends to be a huge turnover of staff in publishing. Mm. Like people, t in many cases, people don't stay with a particular publisher for very long. But they do, they do in Ireland, you know, people tend to be with publishers for years. In London, people move quickly. You can literally ring somebody and, to be, t and be told that they've left. Yeah. You know, it's um, so there. There is an awful lot. There, there's a big difference between dealing with people in Ireland as well, where the setups tend to be relatively small, and dealing with like a big setup in London. Like I have two kind of two publishers, even though they're the one company. They're both Hachette, and with Hachette Ireland in Ireland, and with Headline, who are based in London, they're part of the Hachette Group in the UK and America and they um, like the difference between dealing with the mm. two is just phenomenal here everybody seems to know everybody else mm. when, once once you leave here it just it becomes a lot more challenging it okay. really yeah. does yeah. and but also you will never see people that that's the you're you're mm. one removed yeah but presumably though to to sell in sort of big volumes you need you really need to get published in the UK or, or in America <coughs> To get to get the higher volumes, yeah. um, once you've written more than one book, to what degree do the publishers take a bigger role in what you do next? Like, are they more prescriptive about what they expect you to be working in that same vein? You've obviously developed a relationship with readers. Readers are expecting if I if I read a book by Rachel or Cormac, it's going to be something in that you can't line again go and write science fiction no you can't and yes publishers that's the other surprise maybe i think unless you are hugely successful mm. and hugely famous you don't have total freedom in terms of what you write which is not to say that they <coughs> provide the idea or the characters or anything else it's there is a sort of expectation that you will keep to a general style and theme 
and that your books will be a similar length, mm. um, to some extent a similar format as well, as in, you know, if, if you kind of, well, I suppose the extreme example would be if you write historical novels, there's an expectation that you'll keep on writing historical novels. But yes, publishers do tend to have quite an input into the sort of book that you write as well yes they, they they do you don't in most cases like i say unless you are hugely successful and even then i'm sure there there is pressure to say no 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 that's not what your readers want what your readers want is xyz cormac you're you've said you you're thinking about a second book does a second book in the ether it was in the ether um i think i took a break for about a year or whatever after that one and then I started, um, um, I did an outline, I spent you know, a small bit of time doing that, and then I did start to write, and I think I wrote about 20,000 words, but unfortunately life intervened, and um, you know, my own world changed, so everything got closed in, um, So and that's been over two years of that, so it's only now I'm cr- crawling. I think listening to Padraig Moron was like a private therapy session. Yeah. I mean, I that that's been my life multiplied by ten. So I'm hoping like this may even be a fillip for me to try and get back into it again because I think and then again, you know, adversary in your life is a great source of material. Mm-hmm. So that might <laughs> I've had plenty of that, so that might help me. Um, you know, like. Yes, is the short answer, but I just I, I have to I have to do what Poetic says. You have to start getting out there, um, metaphorically, getting out there and doing it. And once you get into the routine of doing it, well, then it might become a possibility again. So, because it is, it's a huge, huge endeavor to write a novel. I mean, doing five or six. I mean, I don't know how that's a huge demand. I mean, it's colossal. Um, because the only thing I would say is it does get slightly yeah, would easier to, as you go along. Would want to, yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. It doesn't take me as yeah. long now. Say I would do perhaps do a little less rewriting now, mm. as in because when I look back on my first two books, geez, I wouldn't recommend that anybody reads them. When somebody says to me, "I was going to read your book going back," I said, "Don't bother. <laughs> Stick with three, four, five, and six. I'll yeah. stand over those one and two. I'm not so sure about." Yeah. But um, it it does like it does as you go along. You do. Maybe it gets slightly easier to get into the rhythm. Mm. M- maybe that's well. You the know thing. you can do it as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You can do it. You know, yeah, you've done and, it. You've, and, as you and say, I, your and name even is on with the this book. one, the one that's out at the moment, um, I had to say to myself at a few times during it, like you've done it before, you'll do you've it again, done, yeah. and it's kind of handy to keep one of them nearby to think. Jesus, yep. if I finish that, I'll definitely <laughs> finish this. Yeah. 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 yeah, Folks, I'd like to open it up to the floor. Um, would someone like to ask either or both a question? Yeah, um, just coming back to what Porrick was saying, um, I've just finished reading the Quran page to page. I'm in the middle of Ulysses. But <laughs> 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 well, I was just thinking, you know, if James Joyce hadn't gone out into the street of Dublin, you know, uh, uh, where would we be? You know, and some people say that the real success of life is, is just fronting up. Which confirms what Auric is saying that you meet people, and uh, things happen. So, I suppose my question is: um, 
is there's the organic way, which which you which you mentioned, Cormac, um, but then there's also the structure and the, and the arc of the story. Um, so, you know, does it become a hybrid? Do you do both or? Um, well, yeah. For me, the 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 plots and the arc and all the different stages of tension. You know, I learned. I suppose after I had done my foundation of the characters, but it is absolutely crucial, and that's in some ways it's the nice part of it in that. Like writing the scenes in this that were say the major scenes throughout the book, was was actually quite exciting. Um, because you need, you have to keep on building tension. I suppose it depends on the nature of the book, but I presume all <coughs> fiction is pretty much the same. But particularly in crime fiction, you were trying to build momentum all the time and keep people, like, you know, you watch the brilliant uh, series, American series, particularly on Netflix. You know, they're so clever at, at ending with a hook. So it's going off on a tangent. Each time you write a chapter, try and end it on a little bit of a hook that the reader will keep on going to the next chapter. And I have a personal preference of not having huge long chapters either, but that's depending on the type of novel. But to try and answer your question, um, it's, it's both. Um, like some authors always just swear by the organic method of just writing it, you know. Um, and I think for your first novel, that's probably the way a lot of people do it anyway, because they don't know how to write a structure, or they yeah. don't know about all these different. Um, they don't. They, no, they don't. They're not analysing novels in the way that it is. It will end up being published. You just write the thing. So mm -hmm. I think the the biggest thing you have to do is just write it. Get your characters and just write about the characters. To me, the plots will kind of come second to that because if you don't have the characters, you don't have anything. Even in crime fiction, which is hugely plot-driven, mm -hmm. you need characters that people care about. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to have that. Yeah, I think the char for me as well, the characters mm. would be the most important thing. I always tend to have the characters first, and like I was saying earlier, a very basic idea of this is what this book is about. But I also heard somebody say once, and I bear, these are two things that I always bear in mind. One is write the story and the theme will look after itself, which is true. That, mm. that, and I always find as well that the solution to most problems you encounter when you're writing, the solution is already there. There is already another character in the book who can plug a hole for you. There is already, you have already dropped a hint of something. That, that can be brought to fuller fruition. And the other thing is given that you know every structure, like I said earlier, is just a collection of scenes. I remember once reading a thing, and this is another thing that has stayed with me, um, that every scene should A, tell you more about the main character in that scene, B, it should bring the story forward, and C, there should be an element of tension. Now that doesn't have to be somebody jumping off a cliff tension, but that even a bit of interpersonal tension, <coughs> that one person is trying to go one way and the other person in the scene is trying to go another way. And to bear those three things in mind, move the character forward, move the story forward, and make sure that there's some element of tension within within that scene. And, and as Cormac says, ideally, if you can end on something of a hook, and it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a big hammy hook at the, at the end mm. of every chapter. Like, it doesn't have to be an and, 
they may have all died, but you'll see in two chapters' time what happened next. It doesn't have to be as obvious as that, but some element where you're going, hmm, what's happening here? Or somebody saying, yeah, I'll tell you about that, but... And, uh, and, and, and then move on. And that goes back to that, that other thing about, you know, in every scene, arrive late, mm. leave early. And when you bear that in mind, it does, because I'm, t- I'm, like, I'm not great at pacing. I'm re- like if I, I would say, like, even after six books, if there's an area where I fall down, it's pacing, because I do get a bit, I tend to end up loving the character so much, I get a bit self-indulgent with them. So, but, if, but I find that if I then go through the book bearing all of that in mind, the idea of arriving late and leaving early, it does, it does perk it up a lot. Lady in the pink. No, you're both the, <laughs> the, lady the in dark the pink. pink, and we go to the light pink. Hi, <laughs> Fiona. Um, obviously, you know, you both mentioned on the, the fact that you're journalists. You know, you're obviously inspired by a lot of stories that you've been dealing with uh, within your professional lives. Does that ever get tricky? Just that, you know, kind of converting the, the real life stories. Is that anything that <coughs> either of you have encountered, you know, just in terms of kind of uh, the legalities of, of that. Well, I know was, I was definitely conscious of, oh, is this too close to a certain person? Mm-hmm. You know, my character. Mm-hmm. Uh, because i thinking of a, num- a couple of the characters. I mean, I know I have a kind of a community activist. She's a woman uh, in it. And I could just envisage some of the women I would have come across involved in that area over the years. And I was, t- I was trying to make sure I wasn't just copying that person and putting it in as a character that I, it was still my own creation. And I know there was a detective that was very much based on a detective who I knew really well over the years and who was kind of a strong personality. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was conscious of, well, if this, these people happen to read um, my novel are they going to think well that's me he's writing about me you know uh, so that was one thing that was in my mind okay um, and there's all sorts of things I mean I have a male detective who's living undercover in in the area where I've, all of this is happening and I have scenes of tension between him and his wife so you know my wife's reading the novel going well hold on a second is this based on us <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, and you're going to draw on everything, you, you know, you're going to draw on absolutely everything, but again, what you write is still not based on a person or based on, on something literally that happened, but you do pull from everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question there, but... Um, yeah, I would find that I pull from everywhere as well, little bits and pieces, and it doesn't mean that a specific incident is based on a real life incident but there may be an element of it in there or with a character there may be an element of somebody in there who I've observed and kind of thought oh yeah I, I could use I could use that or they may be just something in the news can provide a spark like I, I two of my books are based around um, a fictional mother and baby home and I think, like, to be honest, it was, you know, covering those stories that, that did make me write those books. And then 
in a strange way then that fed back into the work and that I found on Morning Ireland that when this subject came up, be it illegal adoptions or mother and baby homes, um, the editor would always say, you'll do that, you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I made it up. <laughs> and it's funny actually listening to Porrick earlier um, when I wrote the first book based around a mother and baby home, The American Girl, um, a little strand of one of the stories was based on an article written by Porrick back <laughs> in perhaps the early 1990s when, when, um, illegal, when, when forced adoptions and illegal adoptions were something that were barely spoken about mm. at all. I think he did some of the first work in that area. His articles were mm. fantastic. Well, he, yeah. he, spoke, he spoke to a couple of women who had <coughs> um, been forced to give up their children. And um, so it was funny listening to him this morning because thinking I still have those in a file somewhere because I do tend to keep the stuff because I can't think, well, if I ever go back to that, yeah. I'll have it all. I know it just, uh, it's funny the things that pop back into your mind from the time, but I know with characters, if, you know, the ta- tabloids can be great as well. If there's a particular character in an article, I, said, I would cut out the photograph and it would help me Oh, yeah. It would help me create yeah. the image in my mind of oh, that's the gangster that I want to portray. Or there, I remember there was one and there was an image of a gangster and he'd really deep set eyes and were dark. And one of the characteristics of, of uh, Jig's gang boss uh, was that he had really deep sockets and he was very gaunt, you know. And so you would pick up inspiration from all sorts of areas. But if, yeah, if you see a photograph of, of um, a person, you go, yeah, there's something about that image that I can feed into my character, because you can, something just registers with you mm-hmm. when you see maybe a certain photograph published, you go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting face mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something, you know, mm-hmm. so you can get it from all sorts of places, but yeah, then you have to just gather your stuff. <laughs> Mine was a bit chaotic, <laughs> but uh, you know, you just even throw it into a folder. And you can flick yeah. through it and go, yeah. oh yeah, there's something in that. Yeah. You know. A folder is a great folder thing. Of a some folder sort, for yeah. a book, yeah. yeah. And just throw anything you come across that's relevant, throw it no, in. Physical folder. Like oh, physical. Oh, in yeah. the old-fashioned way, yeah. Because yeah. I, I find if it's on the computer, I tend to forget about it. Yeah. Whereas if it's physically in front of you, or you, you go, write yes. it down, you can write down ideas. Now, some writers are really... I, mean, I remember going to a, a gig like this and there was a, a, a writer talking about how she worked and she said she had a huge folder and she had coloured pages and she had sticky notes and she did this and Old that. mood boards and the whole thing. Oh my, I mean, my God, get Sarah, yeah. where do you get time to do yeah. that? Yeah, but some, yeah. some people work like that, you know. Yeah. 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 You want to get in there? It's been said that um, everything we write at some level is actually about ourselves. And you talked a good bit about other characters and other people and how they've inspired you. What do you see of your own self, your own personality, motives, interest in these characters? Do you find yourself in any of them or all? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, as I say, there's an undercover detective in it that I think a lot of my kind of frustrations and um, feelings are in, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Definitely. Um, he, he he had started off being probably the main character in it, and then the kind of the boy kind of became the central character, and that was more interesting. But yeah, definitely, in my case, there was a lo- an awful lot of personal stuff in this novel. Absolutely, I mean, from my own kind of circ- my own circumstances where we lived and everything that was going on around us to the work that I did and the people I would have met. 
and the relationships I would have had with those people, it, uh, all that fed into it. it all fed into mm. it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I would find the same. I remember once reading an author who was asked if any of the characters in the book were like him, and he said, they're all me. Mm. And um, perhaps not so much the characters, but I would certainly tend to base books in places that I feel I can relate to. So most of my books have um, at least, or at least partly set in a medium-sized town in County Clare, because I'm from a medium-sized town in County Clare. Though, actually, the, the book I'm writing at the moment is the first one where the, the main setting, the main town, is, is I think it's pretty obvious that it's Shannon. I'm not going to call it Shannon. It's, it's called Steel's Town at the moment. But it's rather than it being an old-fashioned type of town, people you know, work in industrial estates and, and live in housing estates. And uh, so it's taken me that long to, um, to get around to doing that. But yeah, I think you always put a little bit of yourself in them. Like you know, saying earlier about sometimes you can get characters to say things that you're sort of scared of saying yourself. So, um, yeah, there is definitely an element of that. Does anyone else have a question? Because we need to move towards the coffee, I think, Jared, yeah? <laughs> we'll take one more. Yeah? Um, <coughs> thank you. I, I just take issue with the one, one point that Comic O'Keefe made. I, I'm, uh, I used to be a journalist, and I, I, I do mainly ghostwriting now. But because of that, I sometimes get younger people coming to me who are struggling with, with usually a novel. Now, I don't write fiction. But, and, and, and what really irritates me is that they have spoken to somebody, a teacher or somebody. I have been in, in this set of circumstances, in this set of oh, I know the teachers. Because they, they give the script to a teacher, and the teacher then tries to get them to rewrite it into academic writing and got the uh, his or her degree. And, and I have seen <coughs> woeful families don't because of that. Mm. Now, I don't think Cormac's advice is wrong. I'm just adding to it. Yeah. Be very careful. And be careful when you do that you go to their sphere of expertise. For instance, I, and I, I shut up now, but if I'm writing about a businessman, I, I go to a, a business people, I go to a former colleague and get him to check, check it mm. or from his perspective. I don't ask him to advise me on search. Mm. Yeah. No, you, you, you are ab ab absolutely right. And to, I suppose, talk about that in a bit more detail. At the start, I was um, part of fiction writers groups when I really didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And I did find them beneficial, and I stayed with them for a couple of years. But it did get to the stage where I stopped going to them. Um, because you need to get to the stage before, say, I get to the end point of giving it to other people to read. I'm at, I'm at the stage, at that stage, I am some way confident with what I've written. I've gone through six years of writing it. I'm, I'm certainly not talking about at the beginning of your stage, getting other people even at the end of your first draft, getting other people to give you advice. I'm really talking about when you're, you're kind of at the conclusion of your writing. So definitely make sure you don't get swayed by other people. It's all judgment call. It's all your own judgment call. 
go with your instinct. You may take some advice, you may not take other. Like I did get advice maybe about certain characters um, to drop characters, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's often a big thing that you'd, f you'd find because I had way too many characters. But you don't have to take the advice and as you have to base it on your own judgment. What feels right for you in terms of your novel? Uh, but no, you don't have to take all advice and definitely be careful who you give mm -hmm. it to. So, as I said, you know, you won't give it to your mother for advice. Or, I don't mean to, I'm not picking <laughs> up. I'm I think not, Rachel gives it to her mother. Because I, uh, I need somebody yeah. to tell me I'm great because everybody else is going to tell you where you're going wrong. I don't mean to pick on the poor mother, but you know, you know what I mean? make sure you do give it to people that you, you trust their opinion. So you probably know them and you probably know them to, to a certain extent. Um, also, I think yeah. if you but do be careful, think, definitely. I, I think if you're lucky enough to know anybody who works in publishing mm. in any capacity, and you mentioned even yeah. say a publicist yeah. or yeah. whatever, my experience has been that they tend to be quite skilled in pointing out where you're going wrong, in mm. their opinion, without absolutely demolishing you. They tend to be able to say, listen, all of this, you know, is good, but you might want to look at these 25 points. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they managed to bolster you at the same time. Mm. And that was certainly my experience with, with, the, with you know, certainly, especially, I mean, I think as you go on anyway, you tend to need less of that because there yes. are people who yeah. are paid to yeah. do that, as in an agent and an editor mm. or whatever. But um, certainly my experience was that people who were in some way connected to publishing, they tend to know what to say without, mm. e even when they're telling you, listen, this needs major revision and you need to start 50 pages into it and end 50 pages sooner and you need to lose five of those characters and you can't really write either. But, <laughs> but, but, but your dialogue is hopeless. But mm, um, they, yeah, yeah. Apart, apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, it's an international bestseller. They do tend to know what to tell you to do. Mm. Folks, I think we're going to have to wrap up. I want to thank Rachel and Cormac for sharing their experiences with us um, and look forward to all the novels that are being tapped out, <laughs> out there coming out in future and send them here to be read. <laughs> Not Loads sure you want to make that offer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks um, very much, Marcus. But thank, <laughs> thanks, everybody. And uh, yeah, there's a little break now. Is that right, Coffee George? and yeah. tea is here for everyone. This has been a Freelance Forum podcast. The forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sector Learning and Development Programme. Music from podsummit.com released under a Creative Commons Zero license into the public domain. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe. <laughs>